Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So this evening, guys, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study in Ecclesiastes. And it's important to make note of the fact that this book was written by King Solomon, but remember, he wrote it in his latter years. And we got to remind ourselves that Solomon, if you will, he's been doing an experiment for us, and he has, man, assiduously pursued those things in life by hoping to find meaning and purpose. This is Solomon. You hang out with Solomon a little bit and you kind of understand what he's doing and you go, well, Ben, what did he do? Well, he kept looking for satisfaction, guys, in wisdom and in wealth. He looked for satisfaction. Can I be satisfied with fame or building and even in pleasures? And after his pursuit, which carried him into every area and every experience in life, he actually came up empty and frustrated. Now remember, he's doing this experiment for us, always keeping his eyes forward on God. And, and again, think about that. If we've been, if we've been tracking with Solomon here through Ecclesiastes, the first eight chapters, again, we're reminded why you and I will probably never have Solomon over for dinner. And you go, why? Well, remember, what Solomon wants to talk to us tonight is about the subject of death. And, 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 and I think about this. Can you imagine your dinner conversation? Hi, honey. What's going on? Well, I, I invited Solomon over. Really? Okay. What are you making? Well, we're making spaghetti and it's going to be great. Wonderful. And as soon as Solomon gets in there, he's like, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Okay. What is it? I want to talk to you about death. You're like, wow, who invited this guy? I mean, that's really the case. And we'd be like, you'd be looking at your husband like, you need to get him out now. Now. You know, you got the little ones at the dinner table and he wants to talk about dying and death and you're just like, um, okay. This is not the first time the subject of death has come into Solomon's discourse. Nor will it be the last. After all, what Solomon reminds us, and I think you want to jot this down, the only way to be prepared to live is to be prepared to die. Let me say that again. The only way to be what? To be prepared to live is to be prepared to die. And so Solomon reminds us that death is in fact, is a fact of life. As a matter of fact, the late uh, poet John Benjamin wrote this. And it's a poem in the graveyards. He writes, quote, Oh, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death, unquote. He goes on to say that we invent dainty names simply because we don't want to face up the reality of death. And I think of, and I'm being silly here, the great theologian Woody Allen who once said, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. But Woody Allen would still be there and as well, of all, as well as all of us. So, really, most people will skip a passage like deeming death as the great enemy that we must face someday, but not today. See, if you're taking note, I entitled today's message, Meet Your Last Enemy. 
meet your last enemy. You go, why? For tonight, we discover that Solomon, he drew two conclusions. You go, what are they? Well, number one, jot this down. In verses 1 to 10 of Ecclesiastes 9, he reminds us that death is unavoidable. Death is unavoidable. And you go, amen. You're right. You're right. And then in verses 11 to 18, he reminds us that life is unpredictable. So again, think about this. In chapter 9, the title, Meet Your Last Enemy, he reminds us that death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable. You go, amen. <laughs> amen. That's, that's my life. Now, that being the case, the best thing that we can do tonight, guys, honestly and wholeheartedly, is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Live by faith and enjoy whatever blessing God has given us. Now, let's take a step back. Think about the world we're living in. And I want to I bring this close to home as possible. Death is unavoidable, although you and I, we hope for that trumpet sound where we'll be, we'll be caught up, we'll be harpazo in the air. But if that doesn't happen, the next thing is we're going to die. We're going to die. And as believers, we should be excited about that day. As believers, as we trust in God, but until that day, we need to really understand, guys, that life is unpredictable. And many of you in this room could probably sit and tell me story after story of how life impacted you and how it was unpredictable and you ended up somewhere doing this and all of these things. But the best thing we can do to have peace in our life is to trust the Lord, to live by faith, and, and again, hear me out when I say, enjoy whatever blessing God has given us. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Since death is our last enemy, the question comes up, well, how did death become our enemy? And to answer that, we need to go back in time to see where all this took place so that we can gain a better perspective on death and even on life. So I had you turn to Genesis. You can look there. It's not going to be on the screen until later on. But listen, picking it up in chapter 1, verse 26... It says, then God said, okay, so God is speaking. He said, let us make men in our image. Notice the word us. So the triune God right here is saying, let us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, let make men in our image. That's the Imago Dei. You were made in God's image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, over the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which was on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. 
To you it shall be for food. Also, every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given you every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, jump over to chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, Genesis, he says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And God, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put men whom he had formed. Now again, chapter 2 is just a recap of everything in chapter 1, but notice verse 9 is very important. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 says this, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant in the sight and of good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 9. Did I have that one on there, Joseph? Okay. So, in other words, the Lord God planted all sorts of beautiful trees in the garden. Take, close your eyes for a minute and just think what that garden would look like. Here God created everything. And at the center of the garden, what did he do? He placed what he calls the tree of life. But he also placed another tree. It's the tree of knowledge of conscience of good and evil. So there's two trees. But the tree of life is very, very important. Why? Because it's going to show up later in life. It's going to show up in our future, if you will. The tree of life shows up in Revelation 22.2. It says, in the middle of the street on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, yielding each tree yielding every fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were like the healings of the nation. So, in Genesis, we see that God created a tree. We, we're going to see what happened. But later in life, we see in Revelation 22 that there also is going to be a tree. Now, listen. God had intended, by putting the tree of life in the midst of the garden, was for Adam and Eve, as they ate the tree, listen, they would live forever. Think about that. Here they are in the garden. They'd go out. They'd pull the fruit. Man, they'd have eternal life. So up until this point, understand, there was no sickness, there was no death, they're just, they're having a great time. This is the way that life should be. Death in chapter 2 of Genesis was non-existent. Now, jump over to verse 15. Genesis 2, 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man. Now here's the commandment, notice, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Your attention, please. Notice the principle right here. God looks on them very lovingly and says, listen, every fruit in the garden, it's yours. Have a blast. Enjoy. You know what they heard? They heard the the second part. Don't eat, right? Don't eat. The tree of knowledge, he says, he says, don't eat of that tree. And immediately, and isn't that in our sinful nature even now? Where they say, everything we can do, you can have as much fun, but don't do this, and that's the one thing that you want to do. Listen to me. It's always, listen, it's always the forbidden fruit. 
that we go after. Our sinful nature is always wanting something we can't have. It's always wanting something. That's, that's the nature. And, and right away, here's Adam and Eve. They hadn't understood sin, but, but, but here's the command. Here's the command. You know what would have been really nice if they said, cool. Cool. But we can't live on the what ifs. Well, you know, what if, what if, what if Adam didn't eat and, and only Tiffany, no, no, I'm just kidding, Tiffany, and only Eve did. What if? But we don't know, do we? And I don't want to go there. I know they both, and, and, and here's the point. In the garden, they included the tree of life. Guys, eat of the tree of life and live. But of the tree of knowledge and good of evil, he says, don't eat. Don't eat. Why? Why can't we have that, Lord? He says, because in that day you eat it, he says, you shall surely die. Now, if you have your Bibles and you want to know, the Hebrew word is very interesting. It's M-U-W-T-H. It's, it's entitled Muth. M-U-W-T-H. And it means to die literally. To kill, to be dead, um, to put to worthy death. This is, it's, it's, he's, he's gonna, they're gonna die. Now, think about this. Adam, Eve, yes, sir. Don't, don't eat that. When you do, you're, you're, you're gonna die. Now, some, there are some that believe that, that this means that they're, they'll die spiritually. And, and some, to some degree, we agree. They, they died spiritually at that moment. But the word, the Hebrew word, seems to indicate that they're going to die physically. Physically. How so? Well, have you noticed all the cemeteries lately? The cemeteries. That's a dead giveaway, pun intended. The cemeteries. Okay, keep going. Here's, here's where death became our enemy. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of every garden? Don't you just, don't you just, that, that dude's a bugger, isn't he? He's a pain. Why? Because he always questions God's word. Did God really say? Oh, there you are, and you're having just the most wonderful worship time. You're praising God, the music's on, and you're just worshiping God. And then you get in His Word, and God begins to move in your heart, and the enemy comes in and starts telling you, did God really say that? He did it way back. Did did God, hey, hey, Eve, come here, come here, come here. Want to buy a watch? No, he's saying here. Did God really say? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of, of every tree? Notice. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, tr- but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, notice, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Be careful not to add to God's word. Be careful. Eve's right away. Oh, she's, he said, Don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. There, has, there is no reason for Eve to touch the fruit unless she was going to eat it. You know what that is? That's window shopping. That's, what is that called? That's called um, coveting, right? Ever, ever gone coveting before? We, we, don't, we don't go to the trees, we go to the mall. We go co- let's go coveting. Let's go coveting and we go in and, and we see things. Oh man, if I could just, can I just touch it? Can I just touch it? Let me just touch that. And we go with the intent to buy. 
Eve, don't add to God's word. You don't need to be touched. Well, we're not supposed to touch it. Notice, now she's in a dialogue with a serpent. Ladies, don't talk to snakes. Don't talk to snakes. I mean, that, that should have been principle number one, you know? I mean, it's like, what, what, what? For God knows in that day that you eat it, he goes, well, let me go back. Let me go over. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely, you shall not surely die. What's he doing? He's, he's completely what? He's contradicting God's word. That's what he does. First, he's going to question it, and then he's going to come back and go, no, no, that's not going to happen. Why? Why? For God knows in that day, if you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what he's saying? Grab, grab the text before we move on to death. He's, he's questioning God's word, but he's telling the people, God's holding out on you. He has, you know what? God's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He goes, man, if you, he knows that if you ate this, you would be like him. What a snake. What a snake. But he's using the same principles on us today, Christian. He comes in and he comes in and he starts telling us, hey, wait, 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 wait. God's holding out on you, man. God has so much more for you. And, and God knows that if you did this, you'll be like him. And, and, and that's like, think about this. This is, this is who Satan wanted to be like. So what happens? Well, first of all, let me just say this. Husbands, it's our duty to protect our wives. Right now. Because Adam is nowhere around here that we see in text. In the text, Our husbands, he should have been right there going, Eve, come on, let's go. Why are you talking to that snake anyway? Come on, let's go. Get away from there. But the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. What does that tell you? She was close to that, wasn't she? She was close to where she shouldn't be. Temptation. Forbidden fruit. Ah, it'll be all right. According to the text, church, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of convincing that needed to happen that she was was walking in that way already. Why? Remember our, our Sunday study? Sin starts up here before it ever goes here. We're thinking about it, we're thinking about it, we're thinking about it, we're thinking about it, and when, when that snake, boom. So what should, we, what should we do? We need to take every thought captive unto, unto the obedience of Christ. We need to take every thought. Lord, tell me what is true, what is pure, what is holy. Hey, let me ask you a question. How's your thought life this week? What have you been thinking about? Has it been positive? Has it been good? Has it been noble? Has it been trustworthy? Has it been praiseworthy? And so we got to be careful. And so that's exactly. And, and so she comes and she takes it. Notice, and she ate of it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. That's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. Your beautiful wife comes home and she looks at you and she's smiling and she's all beautiful and she says, hey, honey, try this. So you're like, okay. We just jump into that, but that's what he does. That's what he does. Man, let's be men of integrity and, 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 and be there to protect our wives. What happened? Verse 7, the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them covering. Do you know what figs do when, when they're away from the vine? They dry up and they itch. They put figs in their most private parts of their body, and it was drying and it was itching. 
And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves among the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that a sad verse? One day ago, you were walking with God, you were in his presence, and now you're hiding yourself. See what sin can do? I was talking to Ben and Paul earlier, and we need to remember that when we sin, we quickly run to the Lord and confess it. Let me tell you the difference between religion and a relationship. A religion says, oh, I messed up, don't tell Dad. I don't want God to know, I hope he didn't see but a relationship is, oh, I messed up. I need to go to dad right away. And I need to confess this. I need to confess this. Our nature, our nature, our sinful nature is to go, oh, let me hide it. Let me cover it. I don't know what to do. Let's put fig leaves around. You know, I know it's itchy. Ooh, watch out. But, but a relationship with Jesus says, listen, here, here's what we got to do. We got to confess that immediately and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And then the enemy's going to come in and start telling you, hey, hey, You've messed up. You're not going to... And what's going to happen is you... Here's what he wants you to do. Just agree with him. I know. Well, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. That's why Jesus died. I'm going to run into his presence full of grace. So they hide themselves. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Isn't that interesting? Like God knew. But sometimes he asks us. Sometimes he asks us. You go, well, didn't God know? No, God knew. But sometimes he'll ask you, hey, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? Hey, what are you watching there? Well, Lord, no, 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 nothing, Lord. No, no, I'm, I'm good. Well, God knows. Adam, did you eat? Notice the man. This is classic guy. Classic. You ready? The woman whom you gave to me. What does he do? He just blames her, man. Right? Here's the bus. There's, there's Eve. Man. The woman who you gave me to be, she gave me... Lord, you messed up, dude. Lord, you messed up. There, I mean, it, this is the... And I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said... The serpent deceived me and I ate. So notice the blame shifting. We're like that, aren't we? We're like that. We get busted in our sin and we want to blame somebody else or something else. Oh, how important it would be just to fall on the mercy and grace of God. Lord, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. So right here, church, this is where sin entered the world and death became our enemy. Now, you might say, Ben, Ben, they didn't die. Not yet. But say goodbye to chapter 3. Move over to chapter 5. One verse only here in chapter 5. 
It says in chapter 5, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he, what's that word? Died. He died. My personal belief is that the moment they sinned, spiritually they died. They didn't have that relationship with God anymore. They were convicted. They were full of guilt. You guys know what guilt is? This is what happens when, when, when you don't have a relationship with God. You're full of guilt. And, and now, several years later, he died. So from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to today, guys, the penalty for sin has been death, right? Think about what the Word of God says when it comes to death. Jot these down if you can. Um, Ezekiel 18.20, notice what it says on the board. The soul who sins shall die. Notice the next one, next one Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about James 1.15? Then, when desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, what does it bring? It brings forth death. Romans chapter 5, verse 21 says, So, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You go, Pastor, well, here's, you get my point. You get my point. Death has come in. So Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is now going to chat with us about death. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, notice, death is unavoidable, verses 1 through 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon writes, For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it to all, that, right, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hated by anything they see before them. You go, Ben, what is Solomon saying? He says, here's what I've noticed. He goes, um, for the righteous and the wise and those submit to God, their deeds, their lives, the things that befall their lives, it's in God's hands. It's in the hands of God. So nothing happens to the children of God that first doesn't pass through his hands. Grab that, guys. Grab that in verse 1. Why? Because it means that everything that happens in your life is father-filtered. It has to go through God's hands first. Lord, why am I struggling here? Why is this happening? What's going on? Lord, you've given me peace because everything that happens is father-filtered. Father-filtered. This is what Solomon said. But then he's going to take us and he's going to say something that's wildly unpopular. But it's absolutely true. You go, why is it? Well, 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 let's go back. Notice, he says something very interesting. He says, people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. You go, why is this? I mean, okay, okay, let's go back. He says, I know that God watches over all the deeds of those who love him. And nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. No one. There is no one who knows what tomorrow holds. It might be joy. It might be sorrow. No one knows for sure. Isn't that a proverb? What do you mean? Well, that's exactly... You go, well, Ben, why is this, why is this unpopular? Well, there are those who declare 
nor are those who believe that if you give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be wonderful. Everything is going to be sunshine and butterflies and roses. And hey, you, you, you can do that. If you follow Jesus, good things are going to happen to you. You're going to get that car. You're going to get that job. You can get that promotion. You might even win the lottery. Good things are going to happen. The only problem I have with that is the Bible. What do you mean? Well, think about that. We talked about this last. Think about John the Baptist. Okay? The Bible says that John the Baptist was in God's perfect will. And things went really bad for him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine John the Baptist in that argument? Lord, I gave my life to you. What's, what, what gives? Why am I in this prison? I was just preaching your message to the king. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. I'm in, in, in... Now, I want you to hear me say this. This is so important. In other words, if you get nothing else from this message, you need to hear this. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, you ready? Is that he is enough. No matter what the circumstance, he has to be enough. If you start getting off that message, if you start making promises, then you become a liar. And you go, why? Because Jeremiah gets beat up and thrown into a ditch. Moses never gets into the promised land. So you have to remember today, in the midst of your lives, church, in my life, Jesus has to be enough. And so you need to stop for just a moment and ask that question. Is Jesus enough? Okay, hold on. Ask that question. Is Jesus enough? If tomorrow everything was taken away from you, your relationship with your spouse, your children, your bank account, everything was wiped out. And I pray to God it doesn't happen. But if it is Jesus enough, could you get up and walk and do and live and breathe? Now, I'm not saying it won't be... It, you know, well, yeah, Jesus is enough. It's easy. If no, no, no. We, we, we lose everything. Is Jesus enough? Because that's the gospel. The gospel is we don't follow God because, because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. He's better than anything. And so if we have nothing or all, or if we have everything, the still focus is on Jesus. And I think, church, we tend to forget that at times. We have been so spoiled and God has blessed us so much that we forget that even if it's all taken away, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? If we get off the message, you, you listen, Jesus Christ has to be enough no matter what life throws at us. That's hard, church. Look at me. I see my friend Keon sitting here. His name's going to be on the radio someday. Make sure you listen for it, Keon. 
But it could be the C word. It could be, you know, we, it, it, hey, we're going to check this out. It could be, and we all go through that. And, 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 and the thing that rips through our heart, oh, okay. But we have to come back to the fact is, regardless of what happens in this life, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You understand, when you gave your life to him, you gave him all of your life. There aren't bits and pieces that you want to hold on to. There's not an overnight bag that you want to hold on to. It's, it, it all belongs to him. There is no one who knows what tomorrow holds. You know, tomorrow it might be joy. It might be sorrow. I know, this is Solomon. You're like, I'm not having him over. Can you imagine the dinner conversation? Yeah, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds. You might be happy. You might be sad. I don't know. And you're just like, dude, okay, could we, could, we, could we change the channel here for just a second? But he says, no one knows for sure. And then he looks at us guys and he goes, there's only one event that we need to know for sure. And you go, what's that? Death. That's one thing we could talk about. Look at verse 2. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As to the good, who is the sinner? He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are of full evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Can you imagine what he's saying? He's going, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't know what it is. Think about this. One event happens to the righteous. It happens to the wicked. One event happens to the good. And you're sitting there trying to eat your spaghetti going, yay, 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 Solomon, calm down. And then look at verse, look at verse four, very important. Ecclesiastes 9, 4 says, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And you're just like, wow. I thought Solomon, you're going to give us something profound, dude. You're just like, Ah, but here's what he's saying. You ready? As long as you're alive, there's hope. As long as you're alive, there's hope. You know that there are people who have walked away from God and are living a life full of sin. And we don't cut those people off because as long as they're breathing, there's hope. God can do an amazing work. I want you for just a moment to think about all those that you pray for. Pray for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and uncles and aunts and all those that are not walking with Jesus. You know they're not walking with Jesus. They might have had a great experience with God at one time, but they've walked away and now they're living a life full of sin and those consequences. As long as they're breathing, there's hope. So what should I do? Don't stop praying. Don't stop. Lord, please. I'm going to pound on the, on the ceiling of heaven. Please, Lord. Reach them, reach them, reach them. Think about what Solomon said, though. He said, it's better to be a living dog than to be the dead king of the forest. Now he's going to explain why. Look at verse 5. 
For the living know that they will die. There you go. There you go. But the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy, have they've now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garment always be white and let your head lack no oil. Guys, think about this. This is amazing. You go, why is it, why is it better to be a living dog than a dead lion? Here's why. He says, for you and I, we know. We know one day we're going to die. Grasp what he's saying. He says, but, but dead people, they don't know anything. Their, their memory is going to be forgotten. Oh, sure, we'll carry on the memory for, for a generation or two. But many of us don't know our great, 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 great grandpas. We don't know anything. We don't even know when they lived or died or anything else. And their memory's even forgotten as one generation is past. He, think about this. Love, hatred, envy, it's all gone. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? They're never going to share any more with anything under the sun. So guess what? When you go out to eat, enjoy. Enjoy. I can't tell you, I can't tell you, church, listen to me, how the enemy works so hard. He doesn't take a day off. 24-7 to steal your joy. To steal your joy. He wants to steal it from relationships. He wants to steal it. The moment you get home, you know, I mean, all of this stuff. So you've got to guard your heart. Drink your wine with Mary and a merry heart. Just enjoy life. And and, 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 and look at verse 6 for me real quick. He says, he says, also their love, their hatred, their enemies now perish. Nevermore will they share in anything done under the sun. If you want to circle that, that's important. Why? Because Solomon just said that life is a gift to you. Life is a gift. Hey, is your life a gift? Or do we walk around going, oh, my life. My life, why mine, why me? I don't understand. Ah. Life is a gift. Will you take a moment, think about that. I know we joke around in commonplace because we say, but you know what, if we get, if we wake up tomorrow... Brother Joe, it's a gift. It's a gift. Because God's given us one more chance. God's just blessed us so much. Listen, one more chance to say I love you to your kids. One more chance to say I love you. Can can we get real here? We need to be careful that we don't take each other for granted. They'll always be there. It'll be all right. 
We should never leave the house without saying, I love you. We should never try to go to bed without at least a kiss. Life is a gift, church. Life is a gift. So what should we do? Verse 7, he says, enjoy meals. Enjoy meals. Enjoy family time. Verse 8 says, enjoy every occasion. Enjoy every occasion. But then he's going to get a little bit deeper. Look at verse 9. He says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun, all the days, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life. And in the labor which you perform under the sun. What's he saying? You ready? Jot this down. Enjoy marriage. Enjoy marriage. It's like Solomon, he's attaching the idea of having a wife or being married. It's to labor. He, he doesn't warn you about dinner he doesn't say, do dinner, and then there's going to be some dishes. But he does say, enjoy your wife, and there's going to be some work involved. That's what he says. You, there's going to be some work. Now, how many of you know that marriage takes work? Marriage takes work, a lot of work. I like when people come and go, yeah, Pastor, 50-50. It's not 50-50, is it? It's 100-100. Good. Way to put your arm around her. Yes. Good job. <laughs> but enjoy marriage. That's what he's saying. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Wow. Here's the point. You ready? Marriage takes work. Now, I have from time to time had... The I don't know if you'd call it a privilege, but I've had the opportunity to talk to married people who think, at times, the grass is greener on the other side. Pastor Ben, you just don't understand. You don't know my wife. Well, it's probably because you haven't been there yet. If there's one person you can be sure you don't know, guess who it is? It's you. It's you. Now, let me ask you a question. Was your husband, was your wife, not at one time that lush green grass? Boy, I got awful quiet in here, didn't it? Well, I don't know if he was grass, but it was like, no, 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 he was. That's when you went for it. was like, come on. Think back at the dating days. Think back at your dating days. Oh, baby, you hang up. No, baby, you hang up. No, we'll just uh, well, we'll just leave like this, and 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 now you're like, okay, bye, click, and then you hang up on them. Come on, it takes work. So, if your husband and your wife was that lush green grass once upon a time, let me ask you, what happened? You. That's what happened. You happened to it. So when it comes to marriage, here's the point. Own your part no matter what that part is. No matter what that part is. And again, marriage takes work. This is Sol- Listen, this is Solomon. This is Solomon. 
Here's what a lot of folks do, honestly. A um, lot of marriage takes work only to get divorced and then work real hard on the next relationship. And yet my advice and what Solomon's saying through marriage counseling, avoid the middleman, just work hard in your marriage now. Okay? Just work on your marriage now as you would a new relationship. But let me say this to you, okay? Let me just give you some advice to you married people. Do not ever use the D word. That should be a bad word. Because once you said I do, that's the one for you. There's no, there's no changing it. So you work really, really, really hard. It reminds me of a lawyer at one time. Man and his wife were just at each other and they just had about enough. And, and he goes to his lawyer and he says, that's it, that's it, man. I just write up the divorce papers now. I'm sick of her. He goes, hey, wait, 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 wait. I got an idea. I got an idea. You really, really want to get her? Yes, I want to get her. I'm just, man, just what? He goes, do me a favor. Just go in and just be nice to her. That would just kill her. Just, I mean, I mean, just, just be the best you can be. He goes, I don't know. No, no, try it. Try it. It's like, it's like pouring hot coals. She'll just, oh, you know, you're already at each other's throat. Come in and hug her and, and do the dishes and butt. Do all of that. Do it. Do it all, man. He's like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. So he goes home and he looks at his wife. You know, at first it was just like, ah, oh, you could tell. He was just doing it. And, 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 and so every morning he'd get up and, and man, he would, he'd make her breakfast and he would buy her roses and he'd buy her flowers and he'd go on walk just to, just in, you know, he's, all the time he's thinking, the lawyer's drying up the papers. And then the lawyer calls him 30 days later and says, okay, I've got those papers. And he goes, he goes, hey man, I've changed my mind. Wait, why? Why did you change your mind? He goes, you know what I found when I started doing all those good things? When I started being the husband that I should have been? When I started putting her first? I found that she was just the same way. She, she's the love of my life. It's like, wow. Wow. Verse 10, Ecclesiastes. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Okay? What did, what did Solomon just tell us? You ready? He said, work hard in marriage, but now, to, now to he says, he says um, enjoy your jobs. Enjoy your work. That's what he's saying. Whatever you find your hand to do, whatever it is, Adam, whatever your hand is, whatever it is today, enjoy it. Enjoy it. I, I, I tease Adam because Adam's, he's, he's, he's doing all these home repairs and everything else, and he's, he's, just, he's just running, running at the end of his, his, both candles are lit, and enjoy it, bro, it's all right, you know, next week you may not have it, but he says, well, because here's the problem, the problem is, um, you know, um, there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave, so <laughs> he's like, you don't have to worry about the floor if you're not here, so enjoy it, that's what he's saying. That's what he's showing. But here's the point, right? If you have a job that you hate, get out of it. I don't enjoy it. I hate it. But he's like, no, 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 no. Find one that you enjoy. Because life's not worth it. Why? Because in verse 11 through 18, life's unpredictable. Look at verse 9 or verse 11. He says, I returned and saw under the sun, that means on earth, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong 
nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the men of understanding, nor the favor of men and skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like a fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Here's what he's saying. Look at me. He says, your abilities are no guarantees of success. This is the word of God. While it's generally true that the fastest runners win the race or the strongest soldiers win the battle, it's also true that the same gifted people can fail because there were factors out of their control. Out of their control. In other words, Solomon said, things might be like this. I happen to be at the right place at the right time. That's life. It's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. Think about what God is saying to us tonight, church. Think about this. He's saying, listen, it's not always the fastest runner that wins the race. He says, it's all, you know, you've seen, you've seen, um, you've seen stars go through, I mean, they were once touring little arenas, you know, a couple of thousand people, all of a sudden somehow just get catapulted into, I mean, I, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and Solomon's going, hey, listen, man, this person, that person, whatever it might be, was just at the right place at the right time. Verse 13, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun. What is it? And it seemed great to me. Okay, Solomon, give in. What are you saying? There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, but he was led by wisdom and delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. What's he saying? Wow, our opportunities, guys, are of no guarantee for success. Our opportunities. He says, listen, there was a city, few men, great king came, he besieged it, built great snares around it, and there was this poor little wise man, but his wisdom delivered the city, and yet no one remembered that same poor man. They didn't have a parade in his honor. They didn't lift him up. They didn't make a statue of him as he saved the city. He what? Our opportunities, things that happen, are no guarantee for success. Great wisdom from Solomon. Now, as we close, we're going to close with verse 18 and 19. So don't close your Bibles, but we're closing, we're winding down. He said, Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom, he says, is better than strength. And even now, he says, that poor man's wisdom is despised. His words, they're not heard. Words of, words of the wise spoken quietly. He says, those should rather be 
those should be heard rather than the shout of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So, we talked about a lot of important things tonight. But one that I feel is utterly important. You go, what's that? He's talking about death. And, and the Bible just declared to you and I, listen church, the best way for you and I to live is to know we're dying. The best way to enjoy life is to know, hey, one day this is all going to go away. It's a principle and it's the Word of God, but to you and I, we struggle with that. We still have those fights with our spouse. We still have those arguments. We still have the drama. We still have all of the stuff that robs us of our peace and our joy. And yet, think about this, and I use this lightly, people in the grave, Solomon says, they don't experience any of the good things in life anymore. They're never going to experience a great stake anymore. They're not going to ever experience the fun times. They're not going to experience laughing in that fellowship. So he's telling us, you and I, okay, okay, the best way, the best way, oh. The Word of God declared that if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, he says, we're going to die. It's unavoidable. So what happens when we die? Well, you know this. If you're a Christian and you've given your life to Jesus, he says, you're not going to face death. The Bible tells us in John 8:51, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. And I want you to jot that down somewhere. Make that one of your verses, and here's why. Because if you're a believer, if you're a believer... It's almost the promise like, if you're getting to that point, you're not going to die. The Lord's going to go, hey, you ready? Let's go. And, and, and those of us here will see you pass on. You won't taste it. You'll be just like, wow, this is so cool, Lord. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your promise. I saw a video, and the title of the, the, the video was, it, it was, they were billing it as spooky, but it was a 92-year-old lady who was, who was basically on her deathbed, and she kept seeing angels on the roof. And then she was like, there's angels, and they looked it up, and it was like, there's nothing there, Mama, and of course, the naked eye can't see, but she did. She saw that there were angels coming to get her. And I thought, spooky? That's not spooky. If you've ever been around somebody who's about to take their final breath and they're still conscious enough, they have that same thing. Nathalie's grandma was, I think, 90-something. I don't want to get it wrong. And she just kept calling out to Jesus. There's my Jesus. There's my Jesus. She said it in Spanish, but there's Jesus. There's my Jesus. And... And that's what John tells us. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he's not going to see death. not going to see death. And of course, if you're watching online or you're listening to this by radio, here's my plead with you. 
If you're not a Christian, you need to become one today. You need to give your life to the Lord. Why? Because Solomon just said to you and I, you ready? Death is unpredictable. Death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable. That's where we're at. If you're here today, listen to me. And, man, you're not right with God. My plea to you is be right. Can we take a moment and just and just, just make sure we're right? Lord, um, how are things between us? How are things between us, Lord? Have I... Have I walked away from you at times? Have I, have I set up an idol in my heart, God? Am I giving too much into self and, 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 and not pleasing you, Lord? Just, just tell us tonight, how is it between us, Lord? Lord, death is unavoidable. Lord, if you don't come for us, death is unavoidable. But more importantly, God, life is unpredictable, so we don't know if tomorrow's going to bring joy or it's going to bring sorrow. And so we need to know tonight that you're enough. You're enough. And so we just need to pray. We need to cry out to you. Lord, Father, as we prepare our hearts to sing this last song, Lord, we do ask the question, God, how is it between us? Move in our hearts, Holy Spirit, fall on this place. If there needs to be some work done, tonight's the night to do it. We open up our heart, Lord. We're sorry for our sin, Lord. We're sorry for a divided heart, God. We're sorry for, for chasing other things that are, not, that are not you. Father, we don't ever want to hear Matthew 7, Depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, we want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. So we're asking you, Lord, we're at your altar. We thank you for the cross of Christ, but make sure, Lord, that we're right with you. Forgive us of our sin. We're not harboring any more bitterness, any more anger, any more jealousy, any of these things. We're just going to lay it at the foot of the cross tonight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.